Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families. And on this episode of Enterprising Families, we're going to be exploring a little bit more on philanthropy, specifically on clarity on your fundraising goals and your fundraising niche, and also how to raise these funds, especially if you are a nonprofit or you are focused on creating more um, donors for your philanthropic venture. So to discuss this with me, I have Afam Onyema. And he comes from the Jinka, I got that right, Jinka? Yes, Jinko Foundation. Jinko Foundation. And FM is going to be sharing with us his journey as well as highlighting to us the do's and do nots and um, how you can collaborate with other organizations. Welcome, FM. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Awesome. And I would like you to introduce yourself to my audience so that they get uh, brief into who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, I uh, just it really, as as obviously with most people, it, my story begins with my parents. I am first generation American. My parents are Nigerian, and my dad, when he was at a British boarding school in Nigeria in the in the forties and fifties, he there was a British missionary doctor there, and she just really saw something in him and really took him under her wing, and he got to see medicine up close through this doctor's work. And through that experience, he fell in love, not only with medicine, but with self-sacrificial medicine. The idea that this doctor came from England to the middle of Africa in the, in the, in the 50s and, and to, to really treat this community and the school. So he made a promise to that doctor and to my, my, father, my grandfather, his father, that one day he would probably leave to, to go to the US or the UK or somewhere abroad to continue his education and build a life but he promised to come back and he promised to come back and really save lives in Nigeria and help his community and his family. So he met my mom in Nigeria who was studying to be a nurse and eventually became a, a emergency room nurse. And they came over to Chicago in the mid seventies. And their plan was to stay no more than four or five, six years, learn some modern medicine, raise some money and some capital and come back to Nigeria and, and start acting on this promise. But I am the second of four kids. And they realized we had amazing opportunities in, in the States and would it be fair to pull us from those opportunities to go back to Nigeria, which at the time was suffering through military coups and violence and all sorts of corruption issues. And sadly, the story hasn't changed that much in the past 40, 50 years. And they realized that it would not be fair. And so uh, we stayed in, in Illinois, in the Chicago area. But my dad always told us about this, this dream, this doctor, whether we're you know, having dinner pizza on the family room table or out he's driving us to a sporting event he would mention the story when I was younger I met it just kind of bounced off me I, I listened to it I kind of nodded my head but I had my own dreams of of success and how I define success in terms of professionally um, but as I got older I just thought more and more about connecting with my roots and home I went to Harvard for 
undergrad and so many of my classmates there were very interested in being politically powerful, financially successful, culturally relevant in a big way. And I have classmates doing amazing things in all those areas. But I just thought, I personally thought more and more about how can I make an impact? How can I serve? How can I empower people? And that led me to getting to, to try to learn more and more about my father and his dream. Uh, so I was helping him informally with that after college. And then I went to Stanford Law School, where I was really balancing my law work with helping Jinko, which at the time we, you know, we formed a foundation at the, officially when I was in law school. I'll never forget, I wasn't able to go because I was in law school, but uh, we were able to get a team of orthopedic surgeons from Chicago to go to Nigeria to do hip and knee replacements. And they came back and I heard all these stories about lives changed forever. People who were in agony for decades, taking their first pain-free steps. People were not able to go back to work or go back to school. People who had thought about committing suicide who now had their lives again. Wow. I thought, gosh, I mean, imagine being able to have that be your work every single day, to put yourself to that mission every single day. And so I made the decision. I turned down my, my, my big-time corporate law offers and take the bar exam, moved down from the Bay Area in California to Los Angeles in the fall of 2007 and just started working on Jinko um, full time. And I can talk more about our programs, what we do, but that's kind of the origin story for all of that. What an incredible journey and also what an incredible mission to give yourself um, and to be able to focus that and make that your life's work. Congratulations on that and the work that you continue Thank to do. You. Thank you so much. So going to our topic and having shared your journey with us, how did you decide this is the niche that you want to focus on? And is it the only niche you focus on? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh, my dad originally, his dream was to build a world-class hospital in Nigeria. It was very concrete, build a hospital, literally concrete, build a hospital. And um, so we, we, we pursued that mission for, for some time. But I think one important lesson, kind of the first lesson I'd like to, to share is you have to be flexible. You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to kind of see, is, is this working? Is this not working? And then move accordingly. And um, I know for when we were when we were doing the, um, the hospital, it was just so hard to build a hospital from scratch in Nigeria. And we didn't have the experience. We never run a hospital before. So uh, I told my dad, we have got to start making an impact on the ground in Nigeria in a more immediate fashion so we can build credibility, so we can get, just get donors interested in what we're doing and then you know, talk to them about a bigger project. So uh, I mentioned the first thing we did even before I started working full-time on Jinko was the medical mission. So we kept, we kept doing those medical missions. We brought them back and we've now done eight. We'll be doing our ninth medical mission in November of 2022. And we bring surgeons over, not only hip and knee replacements, but we do our anemia surgery. We do, we do I'm sorry, gallbladder surgeries, appendix surgeries, different internal surgeries. Um, we train local doctors whenever we go. So we've been doing that for years. And then we were just open to different possibilities. And so we got, uh, we got engaged with the Clinton Global Initiative Project to bring anemia screening and treatment to the continent and particularly to Nigeria. Nigeria has the worst anemia problem in the world. Uh, and so we we're able to partner with a, a medical device, medical technology company, Massimo, to bring these non-invasive scanners, hemoglobin scanners to help 
um, uh, evaluate women and children. And then we have a program where if um, pregnant women are, excuse me, severely anemic, we can get them to care and we, and we really provide them the nutrients and the medicine to get them through their pregnancy safely. So we developed that and that grew and grew and grew. And so, and then we thought, and then as we were thinking like, okay, the hospital is, is, is kind of not, not the right project, not only in terms of funding, but the idea of building these big hulking infrastructure projects that year later, the machines break down, there's a hole in the roof where you have to worry about millions of dollars in upkeep just doesn't really fit modern times. And so we, we to use kind of the word du jour, we pivoted. And instead we took, we were taking 40 foot shipping containers and retrofitting them and turning them into family maternal clinics. And so um, we have five of those in Nigeria. So instead of a multi-million dollar hospital, we have a, a 10 to $12,000 clinic, fully solar powered and run by local nurses and midwives in in, in, in Nigeria and we're able to train them and every day babies are being born safely, women are getting the healthcare they need, children are getting vaccinations, nurses are getting, are getting care and hands-on training. So we're really excited about that work. That's what we're doing on the, on the medical side. And as we were doing that, I was here in LA and I'm getting involved. I can talk a little bit about it later. We have a lot of support from the entertainment community and the Hollywood community. I got to know David Yellowo, who's a British Nigerian actor, most well-known for playing Martin Luther King and Selma. And we were talking back in 2014, 2015 about the Bring Back Our Girls campaign and how these girls who are being kidnapped by Boko Haram, abused by Boko Haram terrorism, wouldn't it be beautiful if we found a way to take girls who were abandoned or orphaned or otherwise had their lives destroyed by Boko Haram, put them back into school and just empower them to live their lives and help them restart their lives. And so that was one of those things where I was like, well, we've been doing medical healthcare work all this time. This is a big leap for us. But I said, hey, I believe in this. I think we can add this to our program, but I need you to be a true partner. I need you to be a fundraising partner. I need you to be a, a champion. And David said, yes, I will do it. And to this to this day, he's been amazingly committed and Oprah seeded the, that, that scholarship for us. We got donations from Charlie Theron, Jeannie Kimmel, Angelina Jolie, Daniel Craig, all sorts of amazing people. And I also got to know Chiwetel Ejiofor, who's Oscar nominated for 12 Years a Slave. And he has a school in Nigeria. And so we all got together and now half our girls under scholarship go to his family school. We support that school directly with computer labs and science facilities and sports fields. And so it's a better school for all the kids. Um, so for us, it's just kind of, do we have the right partnership? Do we have the right support? Does it make sense? Um, and, and now we're kind of locked in with what we're doing. Now, instead of expanding any more ideas, instead of going wide, we want to go deep and, and really do more of what we're doing as opposed to looking to grow anymore in terms of additional programs and projects. Wow. Um, now I'm thinking, for those people with foundations and who have gone into philanthropy and want to make an impact, from what you said, um, it really does help to build relationships across interested stakeholders, as well as people who are already um, enthusiastic or see the need in certain places and are willing to open up their resources, whether it's monetary, or its intellectual network resources, what would you advise to those foundations that are on the continent that 
obviously may not have as much reach as you you had staying in LA, but still want to partner up with possible fundraisers um, and also possible partners. Because I feel like from what you said, who our partners are, are very important, who we get into bed with. And we say, this is the person I am going into this with. Uh, it's, it's very important. No, absolutely. And I, first thing I would say, advice I would give is patience and persistence and finding the balance between those. I've talked to a lot of really eager people on the continent who want to start something and they see what we've done and they go, oh, I want to do that in my village or my community or my country. And I say, look, that's fantastic, but are you prepared to be patient? Are you prepared to have a thousand coffee meetings, Zooms, whatever, just and knowing that that might not lead to any direct funding. It's just building relationships, getting to know people, starting to get them to know you, not even your work, just getting to know you. Because people give, people give to people. You know, people are who could give to, to Jinko aren't giving Absolutely. necessarily because they want to support. Yeah, exactly. And I'm trying, 99% of my donors are never going to go to Nigeria, know very little about Nigeria's politics and geography and history, but they want to help women and children. They want to help empower people. And they believe that we have had the setup and I've, I've gotten the trust that we can, they can do it through us. They're giving through us. And so that's very important. I, I just think most foundations or, or initiatives fail because they just, they, they want to be so transactional. They want to get in there and get the money. They want to get in there and just get a check and, and spend it. And there's no plan of, okay, well, what happens a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? Um, and so I think that's a huge challenge. And, and I think if more people who want to help in this way, take that time and say, I'm just going to just get to know people, have them get to know me, let things happen naturally. You know, I'll meet with this person five times and then maybe ask for support on the sixth time or wait for them to come to me. I think that that is that is the key. And it's not easy because you, there is the need is urgent. People have very limited time and they want to get things done. But if we had, had that perspective, and if I had that mindset coming out of law school, going into Jinko, Jinko would have failed in the first couple of years because you have this explosion of, of money and then it becomes just transactional about trying to get more instead of building relationships. And what I love most of all is that we have donors that have been giving, you know, we've I've been doing this almost 15 years now and I have donors that have been giving almost 15 years, you know, and we've become true friends. Like I I go to their kids' soccer games and I have dinner with them. I celebrate their birthdays and we'll talk for an hour and only five minutes is Jinko and the rest is just about life and politics and sports. And so are people willing to have those relationships and take that time? I think most aren't. Most just want to send an email saying, hey, I have this initiative, give me money or I want to have a big event. And, you know, what can I get? You know, there are times when people ask me for an introduction. And I think most people would say, well, what am I getting out of this? And I'll say, hey, I'll make the introduction. I'll make the connection. It'll help your business. It'll help your career. And if it helps Jinko in, in the end, fine. But if not, it's just like you're putting good into the world. So I really do think being patient, being persistent, and most importantly, not being transactional. Those are the keys. I love the way you put that because I, I agree with you 100% when it comes to transactional relationships. Um, the world has become focused on just the dollar signs. What, what can they get out of um, people who they believe have 
um, unlimited sources of wealth or are wealthier than themselves. And so we we tend to see a lot of messaging that goes towards give us money or give us a grant and so forth and so on. And also the fact that by so doing, it doesn't encourage a giver. They don't feel like they're helping. They just feel like they are uh, a checkbook at the end of the day. So then that moves us over to fundraising. And I think you touched on it quite a bit in terms of building that relationship and getting to know the people before you start asking them to be of assistance. And I think, can you possibly just lean in a little bit more on how important it is to start doing the work before you actually start getting the funds as well? Absolutely. I think the first thing people have to do is what is answer the question, what is my story? I think, and, and that's different than what is your mission or what is your goal? I don't, I would never go into a meeting with a donor and say, especially at the beginning and say, oh, I want to build a hospital in Nigeria. And the donor's like, well, why, who, it's just, you don't go in, they're, they're, that person's not interested in building a hospital in Nigeria. They're interested, they respond, people respond to story. And so I always lead, the story I told you about my life, my father's life, that's the very first thing I tell a donor. And I can literally see their face change. I can see them soften. I can see, you know, I talk about my relationship with my father. I see them, and you can tell they're going in their mind, thinking about their relationship with their father, their parent, their their loved ones. And then like, you know, if they're, if they're older, they're thinking about their son or their daughter. And you want to make that emotional connection. That's the first thing. And you have, you have to establish that trust. And people, again, just don't think of that and don't want to take that time. And so I tell people who are, if you're trying to build a well, you know, a, a well for water in your village, tell a story about people suffering from not having water in that village. You know, maybe your uncle got sick and something happened to him, unfortunately, because there wasn't water or because there wasn't water, this happened or that happened and it inspired you to do this. You know, what's your why? You know, that's a very popular thing in the, in the culture now. Like what, you know, start with your why. I, I really believe in that. So that's the first thing. And then realize that not everyone's going to be involved in your work, engaged in your work. It's, you know, we, we do a very, in a lot of ways, very niche thing in terms of doing healthcare and education in Nigeria. And so uh, there are people who just, you know, I've had, I've had meetings and they say, I love this, but my family's committed to fighting homelessness in Los Angeles, or we're fight, we're, we are raising money for cancer research. And I say, that's fantastic. Everyone should do some good in the world in some way. And so for me, it's just trying to find, you know, I use the, the, the phrase, find my family, find my Jinko family, you know, because we started it as a family. My, my siblings are on the board of Jinko. My dad's on the board of Jinko. My mom is our matron. Um, we are very much family oriented. And so anyone who donates, anyone who goes on a medical mission, anyone who tweets about us, anyone who supports us is a member of our family. And so I, I always look at it in that, in that way. And so why should someone join this family? If, if, and, and, and then how do you keep them involved and engaged? What's their level of engagement? Some folks will want you know, updates every, every couple times a year or once a year, they'll want to see you. Some are like, I'm sending you a check. Don't worry about me. Some will want to go to Nigeria. So it's like filtering out whose level of engagement and then just constantly, constantly doing outreach and, 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 you know, networking gets a bad rap and as a kind of a phrase people kind of raise their, their, their noses at, but it's, it's just relationship building. It's just, it's just, to me, it's like just making friends. Like you're, you're just getting to know people, you're connecting, you're sharing your story. I tell people, 
I've been doing this for over 15, almost 15 years now, full time mm -hmm. and more than 15 years, um, uh, counting my time in school. And I've never begged someone for money. Never. I've never pushed someone for money. I've never made them feel uncomfortable. I've made an ask, of course. And I've like made a passionate ask. And I, but I've never, I've never want, come out of a meeting where I, where I felt that person is giving me money to make me go away or because they're like, they felt intimidated or awkward. I don't want that. I don't want a one-time gift out of, I don't want go away money. I want welcome to the family money, you know? And so it's, it's having that sense of, yes, we, we, you need capital. Like everything needs money to start. And mm -hmm. so you do need those folks who believe in you early in your immediate circle, whether it be your, your class. And I tell people, um, start with your classmates, start with your, the alums of your schools. I, when I started working on Jinko full-time, I sent over a thousand handwritten letters to various Harvard and Stanford alums. Um, not even just any, any wealthy, potentially wealthy, potentially well-connected, potentially influential alum. They could have been, you know, I went to Harvard undergrad and Stanford law school, but they could have been from Stanford business school. They could have been from Harvard medical school. I just kind of used that, that hook to get their, their attention. Mm -hmm. And um, because each of the, you know, the Harvard alumni magazine did a story on me, the Stanford magazine did a story on me. I was able to include that to give some credibility to it. So getting media and doing marketing is very important. I can talk about that uh, if you want as well. And then just send it out. And I sent a thousand letters out, maybe get, you know, 70 responses, 80 responses. But of those responses, the dozens who ended up giving have been giving for over a decade now. And they led to so much more. So, um, yeah, it's a very long-winded answer to your question, but it's, it's all of that. It's, it's, it's having that process and having the patience and being in, in, invested for the long term. Now, speaking about um, when you were just answering there and you said you, you'd be happy to touch on marketing and getting the media and putting yourself out there. Can you share what your experience was and what advice you would give to nonprofits or foundations who want mm -hmm. to get media, who want to create marketing campaigns, but are not sure. I know you, you mentioned that the power of story is very important. Can you elaborate on that and other ways of uh, marketing? Absolutely. And I can't emphasize this enough. Maybe it's because between college and law school, I worked in PR at the public relations. I worked for a corporate PR firm for two years and then went in-house and worked for a law firm for a little under a year before then going to law school. Mm -hmm. And I just realized the power of media and the importance of getting your story out in media. I can send thousands of Jinko brochures and kind of internally created materials or I can send an article that was written in the BBC or Forbes or the New York Times. And that article would get so much more credibility and attention because it's an independent third party, because it's something that people are familiar with. And so I took that, the learning and the experience that I had from corporate PR and, and immediately, applied, immediately applied it to, to Jinko. And it was, it was a little uncomfortable because I realized like the story is me. It's, it's not necessarily the work because you go to the New York Times, you go to BBC, you go to NPR, they, they're like, okay, we've, we know what's happening in Africa. Like we can't just do a story about Africa's hurting and there's, but your story is interesting. Your, the decisions you made, giving up this career, going to these schools, doing it with your father and the family connection, the story about the British missionary doctor and how this really, this the, German, the seed germinated for this was, was planted back in the fifties. 
is really compelling to, to people. And so really sitting down, I recommend really sitting down and what, what makes your story, what makes your project compelling? Why would someone in Topeka, Kansas or New York, New York or Austin, Texas or Sarasota, Florida want to read about your work? Or why would they care about your work? And it can't just be because kids are suffering because they're suffering everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it can't just be because it's a great idea because there are a million great ideas. There has to be some kind of emotional hook. And so again, taking that time, thinking about it, being vulnerable. And so many charities are like, oh, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about the work. Well, then the people, you won't, you won't get the attention then. Like, yeah, you really do have to step up and say, like for me, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to necessarily be the center of an article, but if someone reads that article and gives money that I can then give a scholarship mm-hmm. uh, and that funds a scholarship, that is beautiful, you know? And if someone reads what we're doing about maternal health and wants to fund another clinic, then by all means. And so I think I see it differently because I come from that, that world of PR and I, and I understand how reporters think. They, they want to write good stories you have to kind of almost lead them to water. You have to set it up. You have to kind of pitch them hard. You have to give them the whole story. It can't just be stats and figures and it's gotta be a really good compelling hook. And so I'm constantly looking out for that. And if you look at our website and see some of the articles that we've had written about us, we, we kind of punch way above our weight because that's an emphasis for us. Mm-hmm. And then we're able to combine the celebrity aspect. So then David Yellowwell does article does our, um, does interviews for us, and Chiwetel Ejiofor does interviews, and then someone will do an inter- an article about our relationship with some other stars, and so like it, you pull all of that in, and and you, you put it out there, and that to me is so valuable. And I'm kind of maybe I'm a little old school. I do believe in social media. We do have LinkedIn and Instagram and all those things, and I maybe do post on those, but. I think people overemphasize the importance of Instagram. Like if you put a really great Instagram picture out there, you're going to get money. Studies have shown that's not the case yet, you know, or people sometimes do sure Facebook birthday fundraisers or whatever, but it's very little money is raised on social media or through social media. It's a great amplifier. Mm -hmm. They keep interested donors informed um, without having to, you know, reach out to each one. But people sometimes think, Oh, well, this, social media post it or ask for money on social media or have a celebrity post, you know, Hey, give to this charity. It's not as effective as people think. So I'm very, I'm very much a fan of people reaching, finding the outlets that that mean a lot to them and kind of Mm -hmm. in there, they they want to have uh, get on radio and do an NPR interview. Do they want to be written up in everyone dreams about the New York times and the Washington post and what have BBC or Huffington post, but it's like kind of find, your niche, like what, what would make this reporter want to write about the work that you're doing? Interesting. And um, I think very effective in that um, it's, it helps you look outside just um, positioning your organization, but also positioning the people who you partner with and the people that are involved in the work that you do. Because not only are you giving yourself credibility and your work credibility, you're also giving credibility to to those people who are supporting these causes and highlighting the fact that these are the things um, that align with their values and align with their giving. From a personal perspective, you've been in this space for over a decade and you're pushing almost two decades now. (laughs) Yes. What has made you 
consistently get up in the morning, even when you are not sure whether you're going to be able to reach the goal or the target that you've set for yourselves. And sometimes when funding is just not coming in, um, in the way that you need it to come in, what has driven you to continue? And um, as you said, we've got members of your family, most of your family is in this space supporting this foundation, the work that you're doing. Uh, do, would you say that your family values are one of the key focuses of what you do? Yeah, it, it's a fantastic question. I, when I was deciding between turning down my law firm offers and starting Jinko, running Jinko full-time, I realized that the Jinko work was both terrifying and inspiring. I just woke up every morning with a pit in my stomach and nervous and terrified, but also incredibly excited and inspired and wanting to attack it. I think that's just a great balance for life, to be honest, and the work that you're committed to. Our work should should scare us and inspire us. It should it should challenge us and 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 thrill us. And so I had that from day one, and I have that I had that this morning, and I have never lost it. That excitement and that challenge and that terror and that excitement and that mix. Uh, and the first the first three four years of Jinko were, to be honest, to be truly honest, some of the worst years of my life. They were just so difficult, like raising money. I had no idea. I came from law school. Where you, you learn nothing about fundraising. And now you have to raise money. Not only people forget, not only to you know, give a scholarship or have a medical mission, but to pay my rent, to buy clothes, to eat food. Like if I didn't raise enough money, I would have to move back in my parents' basement. You know, And so that's a powerful motivating factor. Um, and so it was tough. And, and you're hearing no a lot. You're getting rejected left and right. People can look and see, oh, you have all these, all these fancy relationships and you're going to the Oscars and raising money there. But I'm like, hey, I was as far from the Oscars as anyone else. I was, I was like, I was in my bedroom wondering, like, how am I going to get out and, and face the day? But I did have that excitement. So that the fear was there, but the excitement was there. And for me, my personality is I'm just I'm very persistent. Like I will, if if I I, I am fine doing something consistently for the rest of my life. I just, I, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with consistency. I like to think I'm a consistent friend and a, a very present friend, a very present brother, a very present in the, in the lives of my loved ones. Um, and so the idea of like going out again and again to someone, even if it's like I'll send an email to someone, they don't respond a week later, follow up. I've sent, literally sent 14, 15, 16 emails, texts to people. Um, and then on that 17th, text or email they respond oh my goodness i'm so sorry thank you for staying with me i had this happen or that happen what can i do you know and i tell i tell people all the time if you peel back the the kind of the layers of all the the success we've had in terms of fundraising and connections and all that it really came from me just consistently reaching out to someone developing a relationship and you know having seven coffees with someone before they decide to act on the eighth um so that's just part of my personality it's, it, and it fits for this work because you do deal with rejection a lot. You know, for every person who donates, there, there are thousands who don't, you know, obviously like thousands who tell you no directly, but just don't. They hear about it, they see an email, they see an invitation to an event and they don't accept it. So, you know, we'll have a, you have a big gala in, in Los Angeles and, you know, I'll, you, we invite thousand people and just to get 200. 
you know, and that that's a good yield for us, you know, and and uh, and it's one of those things where you have to look at it that way and say, like, for the people who do say yes, how can I make this the most fulfilling, inspiring experience? I, I really focus on those who say yes. So that's probably kind of the the main advice I give in this for this for this portion is like focus on those who say yes. Focus on those who are in. Yes, you want to bring more people in. You want to get, you want to convince those who may be on the fence, but focus on those who are in. Get get deeper with them. Um, studies have shown time and time again that getting more money and support from existing donors is much better than trying to find new donors or chasing after the Gates Foundation or Oprah or some of those kind of people that everyone suggests that you go after. I love um, that message, which is persistency and consistency, consistently um, keeping at it and um, persistence. It could be the next email, but don't give up. Absolutely. So as we wrap up on this conversation, what are your parting words to my audience? What are your, your parting words to those who might want to contribute to what you're already doing? Sure. Well, they certainly can learn more about our work at our website, which is ginko.org. It's G-E-A-N-C-O.org. And all the information about our, our programs and videos and all sorts of information is there. My contact information is there, but I can, people can reach me. They can find me on LinkedIn, look my name up. Um, but I also, we are on Instagram um, at G-E-A-N-C-O dot F-D-N. So Jinko F-D-N. And then that's also our Twitter handle. Um, my, my email address is, is um, A-O-N-Y-E-M-A at Jinko.org. And they can reach out to me there. But yeah, we're just always looking for more support. We're always looking for those who want to join our family and whether it's, whether it's financial resources, whether it's connecting us with someone who maybe their corporation's looking to sponsor an event or sponsor a medical mission. I always tell people, you know, once they know about us and they care about us, if they really think about it, there's, there's someone in their network who can be a huge benefit to us. It could be their, their classmate who now runs a private foundation. It could be an uncle who's done really well and wants to give back. It could be, you know, a friend of a friend who's a reporter somewhere and wants and finds the story interesting. So always looking for, for that kind of support and always happy to brainstorm with people about ways that they can support the mission. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I would encourage, you know, I'd love to have, you know, people, people join our family uh, for anyone looking to do their own, their own piece of work, or their own great work in Nigeria or Africa or anywhere. I wish them all the best. And I just reemphasize, be patient, be persistent, avoid at all costs and always transactional relationships, be genuine and you know, good things will happen. If you rush it, it will fall apart. But if you have the patience and persistence, you have a chance for great success. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to speak with you.